morning, everyone, and welcome to episode 101 of the Retrospectors podcast, Fable The Lost Chapters. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Turlings. James, last episode, we did one of the most horrific gaming experiences of our lives in terms of the suffering we had to endure with Pathologic 2. We've turned around with a bit of a break, and for this episode, we are doing Fable. Did you find that it was a nice fresh change of air to what we had to do in the previous title i don't know i think fable one's filled with such terrible moral quandaries such as beating up the homeless and stealing candies from children not very good for my soul i was hoping for a much more light-hearted adventure (laughs) it's definitely um a different approach to morality whereas pathologic 2 was shrouded in shades of gray um Fable very much lives up to its name with its morality system, something that we will be getting into a lot very shortly. (laughs) Were you, I can't remember, James, had you played this game before? Yes, I had actually. I must have been about 16, 15 when I played this one for the first time. And I very distinctly remember loving this game. And I very distinctly remembered the villain and not much else, Hmm. honestly. And... It's actually a very interesting one to come back many years later because I think my experience with it is a bit different now. Um, And I don't necessarily think that my experiences with it now are at odds with my experiences with it back then, but I have some different views on it this time around. Let's say that. Yeah, I was around the same age, maybe slightly younger, when my friend left on a holiday and he was kind enough to leave his Xbox with me. And I also loved this game. I played through it and played it through to completion and loved every moment. And I do think, um, as you said, playing it as a discerning adult is very different from playing it as a 15-year-old, you know, who probably enjoyed Wheel of Time. So... (laughs) <laughs> I'm bringing a very different perspective to Fable than I did as a kid. Um, I distinctly remember that here in Australia, Fable 1 got like this MA15 plus rating <laughs> for being being too mature for its uh, audience. And uh, that... just, I think it was purely because you have the option to like do domestic violence in this game. Yeah, certainly it gets worse than that, you know, like sacrificing people to the dark gods. But uh, yeah, the domestic assault gets a bit closer to home and reality, I feel, for most people. But yeah, Australia's, yeah. Australia's rating board has always been very stringent, something that we've had to deal with over the years, such as with Left 4 Dead 2, um, which had a ridiculous <laughs> and nonsensical <laughs> level of censorship that I still don't really understand to this day. Man, I played the censored version of that like a year ago. It was so funny. It's, it's just bizarre. It's, it's just so so, so out of whack with what what our modern standards. It's like yeah, Doom Eternal is fine. It's fine to have you know people have their Rip flesh literally peel off, but no, Left 4 Dead two step step too far. Um. But yeah, so Fable. So we will be getting into the discussion on Fable in just a moment, but we first of all, we have a minor announcement to make. So James and I have been doing this podcast for over four years now, and truth be told, I've loved almost every minute of it. Almost every minute of it. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> almost. <laughs> uh, so what James and I have decided to do is we've decided to monetize the podcast. Um, we're going to be doing this in a very minor way. We're not using Patreon. We're using a platform called Buy Me A Coffee. And essentially what you can do if you'd like to support the show is that you can go to the link in the show notes and you can either give us a one-off donation or you can do a repeating subscription 
all of values entirely of your choosing. This was a tough decision to make for both of us. I mean, we have a lot of passion and love for what it is we do. We're going to keep doing it regardless of whether we get zero dollars or not. But the truth is the show does have some upkeep costs. Um, we've got hosting to cover both for the website and for the podcast, as well as the equipment we've bought over the years. And if we could get some way towards uh, covering those costs, it would be fantastic. And I do think there is value in what we do, and we're very appreciative of everyone who's listened and the community that's developed uh, over the years surrounding the show. I mean, we love talking about games, and now we can talk to games with hundreds of other people, which is just delightful. So what we'd ask is if you believe the show is giving you value and you feel like supporting us more directly, you can go to the link in the show notes and you can give us a monetary donation effectively. In terms of supporter rewards, uh, we're going to be keeping this very minimalist. James and I aren't going to make a thousand pieces of additional side content. Truth be told, we already find it pretty difficult to play these games every single couple of weeks and do the episode. You know, we both work full time. Uh, so if you would like to donate, you'll basically get a special supporters flare on Discord and that's it. So any donations would be just that, effectively donations. Other than this like fairly long intro, I want to keep the, um, the donation messages in the show fairly brief. I really think that keeping them long, having long advertising thing really hurts the quality of the show. But, you know, it would be nice to make back some of the monetary costs of, um, you know, hosting and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, we at the end of the day, we do this because we love doing it. And um, as James said, we will not be banging on about this endlessly. Uh, but we thought that it would be worth doing an official announcement since we've just launched it. So everything will be in the show notes and you'll be hearing from us about this very rarely. Um, and that's about it. So I guess for those who've never listened to us before, James and I make up the Retrospectors podcast. What we essentially do in each and every uh, three weeks now, it used to be Fortnite, each and every three weeks, is that we play a classic or niche cult classic game of the past with the intention of reviewing it from a modern lens. What that means is that we're not seeking to understand and appreciate these games in the context in which they are created. We just want to play and review and discuss these games as experiences that we had today over the past few weeks compared to... All, all the games available at your fingertips right now. And the key distinction with all this is that old games are not necessarily worse because they're old. Uh, old games can be just as good as new games and in many cases are even better because of their more antiquated design philosophies or those who claim that they are antiquated design philosophies. So the goal of this show is not merely to bash outdated, terrible games that are shrouded in nostalgia, although that is definitely a part of it. It's also to discover when old games are still worth your time to play today that have truly stood the test of time. And discovering those is well and truly the best feeling. Before we get into our meat and potatoes discussion of Fable, uh, we should talk a little bit about how we played it because we engage with this game slightly differently over the past couple of weeks didn't we james we both tried playing fable anniversary which is a uh, remaster of the original game that came out about a year year and a half ago now i think um and they basically redid all of the visuals and left the sound and the voice the same um and the gameplay relatively intact um the game got a new set of uh, menus and controller support 
and a new difficulty option, which I used for this playthrough. Um, Patrick, I think, tried to do the same thing and then got a bit too uh, salty about the new menus, which admittedly are quite poorly designed, I think. <laughs> I got I got incredibly salty about the menus. So it's worth noting there are kind of like three versions of this game, although the definitive version um, is... The original version is basically not really played anymore. You had Fable, which was released in 2004 for Xbox, and then Fable The Lost Chapters, which is which a way to think about it is it's effectively Fable plus a DLC with that DLC interwoven through the main game as well as some extra content at the end, um, which is a version I played on PC, which has like a UI design for PC with hotkeys and everything. So I could not cope with the controller-centric UI, particularly with the menus of the remaster. It just felt absolutely horrific to me how many, how, how much you had to move things over to get to where you needed to be versus the simplicity of simply clicking what you wanted with the uh, mouse and keyboard control scheme. It's very poorly designed and play-tested, I think. I think the thing that pushes it over the edge is that it does not remember your position if you change tabs. So it kind of has this weird thing where like the shoulder buttons will change the men like the tabs, but then there's sub tabs which are changed by the triggers mm. on the controller. And if you press like if you forget which one's which and press the wrong one, then when you go back to the menu, you have to go all the way through your inventory or whatever to get back to where you were before. And if you bump it, like, it just wastes so much time. I hate it. It's madness because intuitively those two should be the other way around. You think the triggers are the bigger button, they should be the bigger menu. And then yeah. the L1 and R1 should be the sub-menus, but it's the opposite way around. So that was half my problem. I was changing the wrong menu and then, uh, yeah, it's, it's really atrocious. And I mean, I still, like, I think that even if playing on a controller for these kinds of games is generally better for these third-person action games... I would not put up with this menu for it. I think that mouse and keyboard is still completely functional. Having played like literally like hundreds of console RPGs, this is like the worst implementation <laughs> of a menu. Like it looks pretty, but the actual like experience of using it is horrendous. I hate it so much. And I've seen the same sentiments echoed elsewhere. Um, the, um, the other big change is the difficulty, right, James? Yeah. So, uh, we, I distinctly remember the game being very easy um, and I was like and you know from what I read everyone you know online seemed to agree that the base game was probably too easy so I gave the the difficult option a go and I would not recommend that either uh, I do not think that the harder difficulty adds to the game in fact I think it detracts from the game because basically the first like two hours of the game is like miserably hard like there'll be like eight enemies on screen who will one shot you and then by like the fourth hour you're like a god already and then the game just gets easier and easier as it goes so uh, honestly this kind of light-hearted like fantasy rpg i think it's just better being easy <laughs> yeah and we'll get into it more when we talk about the gameplay but there are some games where challenge is a core component and there are some games that aren't this game um, does and... not mechanically support a higher difficulty setting basically i'm reminded a little bit of metroid prime how 
making that game harder or giving enemies more health would not have improved the experience. Yeah. And that's what the difficulty menu in this game does. So it's kind of not playing to its strengths by getting harder. So I agree with James. Like, I face-rolled my way through this game, and that's probably the best way to do it. Yeah. And other than, like, the menus and that difficulty option, which I think is kind of poorly implemented, I thought the remaster was fine. Like, everything looks much nicer. Um, and it still sounds and still sounds great um, and still feels good to control, I think, for the most part, um, mm. other than the way blocking and dodging works. Mm. Um, and there's actually a, like a bunch of different um, options you can pick for uh, your controller layout. You can't remap keys specifically, which I was kind of disappointed in, and I think the spell menu is kind of garbage. Um, but, you know, it was fine. Like, I think I would probably... Play the, like if I played the game again, I'd still play on anniversary rather than going back to lost chapters. Yeah, that's crazy. Like the very fact that you can use hotkeys for all your different spells and abilities in lost chapters just immediately elevates it above and beyond anything on a controller. I feel because yeah, by probably. by by the end of the game, I literally had something on every hotkey, and that was where, like I said, we'll get more into a layer. But that was the root of my enjoyment with the combat. The diversity of spells sort at my fingertips and i can't imagine what like there's no spell wheel or anything this is this is pre wheels being oh, a there's thing like a, there's games. sort of is one oh it's is there okay good. okay a, a hotkey based uh spell system i think for this game just means that the original was probably better but you know i'd be open to hearing more about your experiences as we go along mm. uh so yeah fable what is it so, as I mentioned before, the original game released in 2004 for Xbox as an exclusive, with the revamped Fable The Lost Chapters coming out a year later for PC as well. The basic setup of this game is that you play as an unnamed young boy whose village gets razed to the ground and the rest of your family killed in a bandit attack. Luckily, uh, Maze, who's the head of the Heroes Guild, takes you to train to become a hero. Uh, so you have a little bit of a montage of you training and growing up to become a hero. Then you successfully become a hero, pass your trials, and venture out into the world. And obviously, or you know, maybe not so obviously, you may just learn a little more about what happened that fateful night that your village was attacked. This game is a third-person action RPG, so you swing your weapons at baddies, cast magic spells, and can use a dish to di can use a dish. You can use a bow to dish out the pain. You can't use a dish to bow out the pain, unfortunately. And you basically move around the world completing quests, uh, either ones that are assigned to you as official quests at the Heroes Guild, uh, many of which have an option to take an evil or good option, or you pick up side quests as you move around the world, uh, interacting with other people along the way. It is a rather generic game in that sense it, it's it's really cleaving to uh its name it being a fable and it it's very much medieval middle kingdom britain through and through both in its aesthetics and its absolute attachment to telling this story of young boy's family gets killed and then he grows up to become a hero what did you think of this story, James? Let Let's start with the um with the primary narrative, uh, with the with you pursuing the events around your that attack on your village, 
and the quests you go on along the way. Is this something you enjoyed or was it just too boring for its own group? Yeah, so I, feel, I get the feeling that the game is this generic on purpose, right? Like it can't, it's trying to tell this very, very simple story. Um, and as a younger player, I really enjoyed it actually. And now it's basically everything that I find enjoyable about the writing and the narrative is like the juxtaposition of the NPCs saying ridiculous things in comparison to how dull everything else is around it. It's a bit hit or miss for me, honestly. Like I find the the main plot to be very generic, like you said, honestly. It's it's interesting. You're right that it leans so heavily into that aesthetic as an intentional thing that it almost becomes fascinating in that regard. Like yes. all of the enemies and people you beat up, I guess the guards as well, they look like ridiculous cartoons. Yes. Um, there's no blood. Enemies go flying when you hit them. This is not even something like the original God of Wars in terms of giving you a visceral, uh, I guess, action experience. It's very much leaning into the fact that this is a fable and you're kind of just going along for the generic ride of rising up as a hero and beating the bad guy. I do think that, like I said, I think that it is interesting almost in how generic it is, but I don't think that it effectively satirizes or kind of pushes the envelope in making fun of this in the same way. I, I wouldn't that... say it's trying to satirize almost. Like, it's it's weird, right? Like, the, the backdrop of the it's game still is... still idolizing it. It still wants yes. to be that story. Whereas something like, I don't know how familiar you are with Terry Pratchett, but a lot of what Terry Pratchett does is he's riffing off generic fairy tales and stories to create his world. And that is very much in the vein of satire. And there's a lot of scathing and cutting wit throughout his stories this feels far more of a homage almost something that is in love with the idea of this generic story than something that's trying to actively undermine it that's a good way to put it it's not trying to like undermine what it's trying to pay respect to but i think some of the genericism is taken to the extreme like you mentioned right like mm. one of the game's selling points is that it has this like morality system like, I remember back in the day when this game was advertised, it had all of these, like, quote-unquote innovative features, one of them being the morality system. But the morality system is black and white to the point of absurdity. Like, it's funny that it's it's so stupid. It's like, there's a guy bullying a homeless man. Do you either protect the homeless man or beat the shit out of the homeless man? Just because, right? Like, there's no middle ground in any choice in this game at all. It's all, like, completely ridiculous. And I think that kind of ridiculousness layered on top of the very, you know, straightforward setting ends up being a source of a lot of humor in the game. Probably the most enjoyment I got out of the writing was that kind of thing. One of the um one of the funniest aspects of this whole thing is that you grow up in the Heroes Guild and at the Heroes yes. Guild you can take you can take quests, right? Yeah. And one of the things that the game does <laughs> is it gives you uh for some quests it'll give you two things to do on a quest. Like for example, it will be uh Orchid Farm is under attack by bandits trying to steal these things. Would you like to defend the farm and you know 
fight off these bandits or would you like to join the bandits <laughs> and, and kill the, the guard and attack the farm <laughs> and kill the guards and it makes it clear although i don't know if it's even trying to do this the heroes guild is like akin to the mercenary companies in armored core yeah which, and armored core <laughs> is a game that's trying to tell this dark and nihilistic story about you as this morally corrupted person who would do anything for money <laughs> and i don't think the heroes guild is trying to be that but that's how it's being used anyone can drop a card off at the guild telling you to do whatever the hell you want and yeah. you can go along with it and it kind of makes the whole plot towards the end of the game trying to stop the evil jack of blades a little like ridiculous little silly <laughs> it, very honestly, silly the thing with whisper like because you've got this sort of like rival character like the whole like if you pick the evil route like and whisper takes always takes the other quest and like is your opponent um and it's like there's still this like sort of friendly rivalry thing going on despite one of you trying to be like pure evil and the other person trying to be like lawful stupid like it's so funny it's like yeah it's okay We'd, it's okay that i'm murdering guards and you're yeah. like it's fine it's like you come back and no one gives and she's a shit. like i'll like, beat you next time <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't like, even care yeah. <laughs> so great yeah i mean um, no one cares and basically the morality system is kind of like incredibly shallow it, it's not just that you know the heroes guild is offering these quests no one cares that you're a murderer you can yeah. it's it's not like you stop trading with traders because you're a murderer it's not like you're getting attacked on site by guards because you're an evil murderer the game plays exactly the same whether you're the most evil or most good person yeah because there's like your evil and your good points right but there's also your renown which is mm. separate when you've got high renown and you're pure evil do villagers still like clap and cheer when you come into town or do no they, like... it's, it's quite funny so what they do is they run away from you and they say they're scared so if you want to trade with a trader you have to chase after them corner <laughs> and them and then you. and then initiate a conversation and it's like completely <laughs> the same i don't think costs are any different it's just that people initially run away from you when you're <laughs> it's, evil it's great honestly it's like better that it's so stupid it makes yeah, me enjoy the game more because of it i think with this story you have to kind of lean into appreciating the stupidity because what's actually here is not great i think it is worth noting that at times this game can be funny like it, it's yes. not without a sense of humor and and there is definitely some some silliness going on like the whole thing with the brothel side quest yes. <laughs> amongst amongst other things some of it's uh prob admittedly probably in poor taste um this game was released in 2004 so some of these jokes are a little outdated however i think that it has a spirit of fun about it mostly and it is it is like i said it's not cutting apart the concept of a fatal it's kind of like gently lambasting it and yes as a homage to what this story is yeah so i i would probably say that like my enjoyment of the writing comes from like the tone and the sense of humor the game has and basically none of it comes from the main plot and that's fine i guess because most of what you're doing is like involving everything else i feel like with the writing in this game they could have gone a lot sillier and i think if they'd leaned into the sillier aspect more it would have been a better yeah. game like there, there's a lot of the game is at its best when it is being silly and ridiculous but they just never quite fully commit to full-on satire 
Um, I have another point here, James. I remember playing this game as a kid, and I remember like really enjoying the progression from a child to a hero. Playing it again today, I felt like it happened so quickly. quickly? Like yeah. you spend basically <laughs> no time as a child and you go from being a clueless hero, like walking out the gates, to being a highly renowned killing machine who's known all over the kingdom within a couple of hours. It's a very uh, compressed kind of journey, very short story if you follow the main plot. Did you find this to be an issue at all, or did you think this was just part of the charm of the game? Um, it, it definitely was an issue in terms of the difficulty curve, because like, like it drops off a cliff very quickly. Mm. Um, I don't like. I kind of appreciated that this is like, uh, like a ten-hour RPG. Basically, I think it works okay because of how like they don't. I don't think they really expect you to take the story too seriously. Um. This would not work at all in a game that was trying to have a more serious story, I think. I think the the feeling of progression is just too quick. Um, I, I think one of the game's strengths maybe is the amount of stupid skills you have. And I think the game kind of wants you to play through it twice, like on the good and the evil route and with a bunch of different abilities. And to me, that kind of fits like a shorter, more compact little experience than... Um, like having a 40 hour epic yeah i felt like it was and i mean it feels weird to criticize a game for being too short when we have been you know patron champions of the short game and games outliving their their length and certainly from a gameplay perspective this game is much better as a short game but i do think that more time could have been spent with you as a young child and as a novice because those parts of the games are effectively just 15 minute tutorials um, I think that if you'd had more time as a child becoming a hero in the first place, an adult would have been more meaningful. Um, just a few more side quests in those spaces would have gone a long way to fleshing out the um, feeling of growing up, I think. Yeah, and I really think that those sections probably needed more actual like feelings of agency, because until you finish the tutorial, you really don't have any decisions to do at all based on where you spend points and that kind of thing, what you buy, like everything you do, you know, like right in the tutorial section, you do feel like you have a bit of agency, but in the Heroes Guild tutorial, that's actually fairly lengthy, I thought, for a tutorial these days. Um, you really just have to follow the path, honestly, um, which, you know, when I tried to make a second character, I found really annoying, actually and hadn't yeah, you, noticed it at all the first time you think there might be an option to um i guess make some decisions which had far-reaching consequences into the main game but nothing like that exists there's no mm. way to you know be a dickhead or be generous and get uh, see the ramifications of those decisions down the line there's just not not much meat on the bones of this tutorial whereas i think it could have been a enjoyable part of the overall story yeah i agree with that um i think this game's villain i remember him being very memorable and i think i think it's his design and voice acting is memorable mm, his the voice acting is yeah phenomenal yeah really good uh the actual like plot point part of the villain is pretty bad <laughs> like very bad like he gets oh introduced so very generic. haphazardly and he's like i want the i want the all-powerful sword to rule the world like that's it 
<laughs> I think he wants to burn the world to the ground. Like it, he, he's yeah. not even wanting to just rule the world. He wants to destroy the world. He wants to be an evil overlord. That is, he wants to be Sauron. That's that's yeah, his goal. <laughs> just uh, and I mean, this is a thing. I know it's like generic, but there was a great opportunity here to make fun of this whole concept of a over the top ridiculous villain. But it's played completely straight. And and that's the confusing thing, I guess, about going back to this game, whether it wants to be a satire or not. Like, it wants to be a satire in some ways, but then it just plays this evil villain 100% evil with zero <laughs> humor relating to him at all. And I don't know, it feels like a weird missed opportunity or a conflict in tone. Either play it straight or make fun of it. Uh, don't You can't really easily do both. I also felt I hadn't noticed this the first time I played, but the way like he's introduced and then is immediately like this is the main villain. I get if in the arena it feels very weird. Um I don't think there's like any build up or any real you can, exploration. You can find, yeah, you there can are find like the some book. books. There there are pe like there are kids playing as Jack of Blades. There are like little bits and pieces seeded throughout the world that Jack of Blades is a is a figure. But yeah, he after and I mean this is part of how the story is so compressed, right? Like it yeah. just it just really hurries things along with that main story. Um to touch on gameplay a little bit, because I think it is important to understand that Fable's story and the way it tells its stories in its world is much more than just the main quest. This is a game that has a lot of side quests and side activities. And all of the story content is divided into three tiers, the gold, silver, and bronze, with gold being your main quest, silver being side quests, and bronze quests being more like gimmicky uh, side jobs. And I do think that going through this game just doing the main story is a mistake. Yeah. I think that you need to engage with these side activities that flesh out the world. And part of that is that the side activities have a lot of the funniest and most fun content in them. Um, did you enjoy these, James? Did you do many of these uh, sillier, shorter, simpler quests? Yeah, I did a couple of them. Um, I think I did one of the like super evil ones mid-game when I had, because I was doing like a lawful stupid playthrough, so hmm. it was like barely a hit to my reputation at that point. It was really funny. One of my favorite ones is that um, there's a guy, he's sitting on a bench. This is one of the bronze ones, so this is one a quest that's not even really a quest. And he asks you, he says, yeah, my, my daughter's looking for a big, strong man, but she only dates people with this kind of haircut. Then you get that haircut and he goes, oh, but you need to get this kind of beard and so on and so forth. I think he does it three times. And at the end, you go to see him with your get up and he admits that he doesn't have a daughter and he just likes getting people to look stupid. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like all right, fair play game. That's, That's kind of hilarious. And, you know, there's no reward or anything. You're playing it purely for the novelty. But they managed to get a story into the game that's just completely silly, completely optional. And th there's stuff like this seeded throughout the entire game. Like, did you do the thing where you... Did you end up marrying Lady Grey at all? No, I didn't do that. I didn't actually do marriage at all in the, this playthrough. I did the brothel quest where I freed the um well I got the the title deed and like let them all free basically. Mm. Um and I tried to pull the sword out of the stone but I was missing like one point in like the final stat and never got enough points. Mm. Um 
but that quite like that area where they're all like taking turns to pull the sword out of the stone and you either have to wait there for like three minutes or you can just force blast all these npcs flying <laughs> and they all get really mad and tell you to take wait your turn but you just like save three minutes it's funny with all that said, Jens, what are your overall feelings about the story? Do you think it's it's hard? We've been a bit mixed. Do you think Fable has a good story overall? Yeah, it's hard. I think that I enjoyed like the writing and the characters a lot um, at certain points in the game, mostly when it was trying to be funny and succeeding. Um, I basically got no value out of the plot itself, um, but the stupid ju juxtaposition of like, the extreme black and white morality system. I found that really funny throughout the whole game. I think it was enjoyable. Um, just, I don't think it would be enjoyable if you beelined the main quest, basically. I, I just want to ask you, like, as an interesting comparison point, how do you think this game compares to your typical classic JRPG plot, many of which I've made fun at, of being kind of like boring and generic in the past. Even if we put aside all of the complicated stuff, you know, that basic story about a group of friends going on an adventure. Do you think that this is in the same kind of category or is it doing something different and unique? Um, so basically, like the group of friends dynamic is just not here, right? Mm. Um, and I think that's where, like, if you don't have a enjoyable cast of main characters like that kind of story just falls on its face and um, your character is a blank slate there's the character yes. doesn't has zero dialogue and is just being told what to do uh, i would honestly compare this more to something like you know like elder scrolls like mm. it's a single person rpg where you're a blank slate and really everything that's enjoyable like the main quest is garbage and everything that's <laughs> enjoyable is everything else actually that is a pretty decent comparison yeah yeah even like as much as luna's story isn't anything fantastic as everyone who's listened to the episode <laughs> knows at least we got a lot of discussion out of the whole like um exiling this race of people yeah there was there was a comp there was the, something the, to there was a broader plot about a broader story happening with with a bit more depth right yeah even if it's not very good i'm pretty conflicted i think that fable's story basically is not very good and that it really doesn't push the concept of satire far enough in a way that i think they should have but at the same time the fact that it leans so hard into being as generic as it is does make it kind of unique and interesting in, in that way. I would never recommend Fable to someone for its story, but I can find something to appreciate here, I think. Like, there is something of value here, uh, not in spite of its genericness, but because of, as you said, the juxtaposition between its... Uh, genericness and uh the actions that you're actually it's, taking. it's a very earnest game and that's kind of yeah. like it's kind of charming in that way i think <laughs> it, it's an earnest game but also you work for the equivalent of an armored core <laughs> mercenary company it's just it's just a bizarre set of circumstances uh, not not much thought has been put into the world structure of fable but yeah mm. james shall we shall we have a music break Yes, um, the music I thought was actually quite good. Um, I don't think it's even changed from the original, like when I played Anniversary. Um, I did like most of the tracks. There aren't too many here. Um, the main theme was like very present in a lot of them. But, you know, I enjoyed it for, for what it was. It wasn't like my favorite soundtrack ever, but I think it really captured 
what the game was going for in its fantasy setting. I think the soundtrack of this game is uh, even better than you seem to be suggesting. I would even go so far as to say it was excellent. I think that the game captures the uh, atmosphere of what it's trying to capture perfectly as you move around from place to place. The town's music has a kind of like happy but peaceful bounce to it. Uh, when you go into the first wilderness areas, there's more of a sense of there's like a hinting of danger, but the, more than anything else, there's curiosity of exploring the unknown. Yep. And when you get, get to the spooky areas, the dark wood and That's the... That's very uh, spooky. It's very spooky, but the way it transitions from certain types of wilderness to others and is able to capture those things emotionally with its mainly violin and double bass-led soundtracks, I think is extremely well done. And I would put... Once again, I, I feel like comparing this to um, the classic JRPGs we've covered, or even, but I think, as you said, something like Oblivion or Skyrim is even better. I think that the music in this game is better able to capture a sense of place than any of those other games. Like I, I think that there's something a lot more memorable about the music. And if I close my eyes and listen to this soundtrack, I can imagine the different areas on the map I was for, for that music. So I... I'm very high on the soundtrack. It's it's never going to be my favorite. You know, it doesn't have quite enough ambient droning, but but uh, I, I think it's a really good execution of uh, what it's trying to achieve. I did actually like all of the tracks that had vocals in them a lot. Like, um, there's no like there's no lyrics, but the the like the ooing and the ring in the background. It's very uh, I guess reverent of the setting. So you've got you've got areas like the Heroes Guild, which has more of the choir. You know, going at that it theme then, so much. <laughs> yeah, and then you've got um, when you're in the arena, it's a battle theme playing. I, I, I just think it does a really good job adding to the sense of place. I think it's an important part of establishing the atmosphere of this game. Mm. All right, well, let's go with... Um, I think Oakvale, the, t the starting town, is the best thing to go with to begin because I think it is the most representative of the whole game. Um, and probably my favorite piece on the soundtrack, if you don't have any objections. Not at all. And uh, yeah, Oakvale. A lot of the names of these places also love to lean into their genericness. Uh, the Heroes Guild. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they didn't stay up all night thinking of that one. <laughs> no, no. Well, this is the Oakvale track. Enjoy.
That was Oakvale. All right, let's talk a bit about the gameplay. Uh, did you want to talk about combat and skills first, Pat? Or did we want to talk a bit about uh, some gimmicky 2000s Peter Molyneux special? <laughs> I think where we will start is the RPG systems, and then we can talk a little bit about the combat and how those RPG systems influence them. Okay. So... Basically, uh, Fable isn't just an action game. It is absolutely an action RPG. Uh, the way the RPG systems in this game works, and specifically I'm talking about the gameplay uh, ability RPG system, let's say the role-playing systems, are that there are three main schools of abilities. You have, uh, I think, I don't know what they're called, but it's basically dexterity, strength, or intelligence. It's will... Will, finesse, strength? Is that what it is? Physical. James? Yeah, physical, will, finesse, but it's dex, strength, or end. So strength uh, and dex are pretty simple. Strength is how much damage you do, how much damage you resist, and how much health you have. Dexterity is how fast you are, how good you are at shooting things with your bow, and uh, how good you are at sneaking and bartering. Then you have intelligence, which has a total of like, 17 spells something yes. like literally 17 spells and is i guess it, it's important to understand it's not just casting fireballs a lot of these spells are ways to almost like abilities that influence um your effectiveness in combat if this was a more modern system a lot of these things under will and intelligence would be you know, would be moved over into the other categories. Yeah, stuff so like double strike and berserking is a is it like a will spell, even though like if you're a melee focused character, that's what you're going to be using, that kind of thing. Assassin's strike, which teleports you behind an enemy, is also a will spell instead of being instead of being a dexterity spell. Same with the archery multi multi arrow spell. It's just all under intelligence. It's just all under intelligence, and is using your int. Yeah, and this by far was the thing i remembered most from my initial playthrough was just how many spells there were for you to mess around with um and i remember this being my favorite part of the game was just there's like lots of weird spells for you to figure out you know what they're good for um i used so much force push this time around just mm -hmm. like blasting things away in a cone um there's summoning abilities there's you know enchanting your weapons so its next hit hits five times stuff like that uh, there's giant explosions you can slow time uh, there's healing taking less damage teleporting you name it there's a lot of stuff here um, and it's kind of fun to mess around with them and i think the way the um the xp works kind of encourages you to pick up a lot of them at the start and find the ones you like and then some very exponential uh, gains in cost to upgrade kind of force you to lock in a bit later on what you're trying to do it is very interesting how this kind of skill system differs from a lot of modern ones what modern skill systems will do or skill trees and it's implied in that the name there trees is that you have low level abilities and you have high level abilities yeah you need to start off using the low level abilities and then eventually you'll get to the high level abilities right this is different in that you can invest in literally anything you want from level one. You get to, you have total freedom. What is being capped here, the gate on your strength is not the kinds of skills and abilities you can have, it's the strength of those skills and abilities. And truth be told, 
from the perspective of someone who's playing this game through once, this is the better way to do it, giving you total freedom to mess about with whatever the hell you like instead of leaving all the fun stuff for the end game. And I kind of agree with that. Um, it was really fun just picking stuff up. Honestly, when I was playing on hard and I um, put all my points early into multi-strike and didn't invest anything into health, that was a huge mistake. <laughs> um, I was definitely getting one shot by like literally everything for like an hour. It was uh, very miserable. <laughs> At the beginning um but you know that was my mistake to make and i was fine with that yeah definitely the version i played which has a far lower difficulty is far harder to make a mistake like that <laughs> because yeah. the relative damage values are a lot lower. Oh, it's like you one shot everything with a single sword swing <laughs> the, early um, on the only i guess potential problem i had with this is that uh so the way xp gain happens is that you earn generic h uh, xp but you also earn xp specific to the type of combat you're engaging in. so if you hit people with swords you get physical hp if you if you sneak and you use archery you get dexterous h uh, xp and if you're using spells to kill things you get will xp and i found that it was kind of frustrating that i would go through an area hitting things with a sword and i would get no uh, magic xp and i wasn't able to level up exactly what it is that i want yeah i think the problem like it's hard to have enough sustain for mana like mana pots drop way less than health pots in this game so i was trying to level up spells on my second character and it was like i would always have to resort to swords eventually um i actually thought it was pretty good for this because all the quests reward heaps of generic xp so mm -hmm. while the game does like it kind of railroads you into sticking with the playstyle that you do the most, right? Like the more you hit things, the more the game pushes you towards the physical side of the skills. But it doesn't like lock you out of the other trees because, well, not trees, but the other like schools because of the generic XP. So you can actually level other stuff up, even if it's not very good. And yeah, that's fair. And it's so exponential, isn't it? Like it's so yeah. exponential that it gets to a stage where if so, you will have enough XP to dabble in the other skills with just your generic XP, and you'll be able to do, like, get six level ups on level two spells or one level up on your, the, your main skill. So it's often worth just dumping a bunch of points into different areas, even if it's not the most cost effective. Yeah, and I don't think the game particularly rewards, like, a hyper-focused style of play. I think it's A, the most fun, and B, probably the most optimal to have a more balanced character rather than try to go like i am a mage i literally mm. don't use my sword i don't think you're really going to get to that point so so james we've talked a lot about basically how we like this rpg system but let's now talk a little bit about how these systems work in practice and this is mm. the moment to moment gameplay of the combat what did you think of the combat in this game Man, this was fascinating because it's like how not to do combat, like to the textbook, right? Like, um, I think the thing that makes it bad basically is the way health potions work. Um, Man, I, I, it's so funny. I've come to exactly the same conclusion that that is the number one issue with this game being interesting. Yeah. So you have health potions, and let's say they're on, you know, your D pad on the left button. They're 
is no animation for consuming health potions and there is no cooldown for consuming health potions and you can have and it restores health instantly yeah it just immediately fills up your health bar it's not filling up over time. yeah that is to say like you could be getting smacked across the room and you you know you can't control your character but you can still chug health potions while you're stunned basically so it doesn't really matter how good or bad you are at the combat because you can just like mash attack and health potion and never die it's it's completely and utterly brain dead right there's yeah. nothing to it and the gameplay was always of a game like this the action gameplay was always going to be a little bit simple but you get the impression doing the tutorial that there's a little something there your spacing matters um there's blocking there's rolling there's a special flourish attack you can do to break an enemy's guard uh enemies can attack in fairly rapid chains um so it has the basic premise for a somewhat okay combat system here but it's mostly invalidated by health potions and mana potions being instant restores yeah so I didn't notice this early on, actually, because when I was, like, at this stage where any hit would kill me from anything, mm. um, that was a non-issue, and I really had to, like, make use of all the tools I had. Like, I needed force mm. push, I needed my bow, I needed to be able to, like, kill things. Like, I needed to be able to pick, like, four, like three enemies out of the pack of five off before they got to me, mm. so that, like, I wouldn't take a random strike and just have to redo the whole fight again, because... There was like this one fight that I tried for like half an hour and I just gave <laughs> up and teleported back to the Heroes Guild. There was just too many dudes. Um, I think the ingredients for an okay combat system are here. It's just ruined by the, the way recovery works, basically. Um, yeah, and I'm going to do it, James. I'm going to bring up Dark Souls because while I'm not saying that every... Comparison, actually. Yeah, while I'm not saying that every game needs to be like dark souls although a lot could benefit from doing so i think that this really shows the genius of the estus flask as a health recovery mechanism you have a limited amount there's an animation that plays when when you use it and your health doesn't instantly restore it restores over time so drinking potions becomes part of the flow of combat and is not free and it's just the best way to do potions i mean arpgs i know you've told me a little bit about how path to exile does it where you have a limited number and they give you different buffs and they do no, different things no do not use that game's oh, potion okay. system as a good thing that po that game has like the worst recovery system in the whole okay all right video I, I won't. Game world. <laughs> I, I i've missed i've misstepped here i i don't know anything about those games but i know that for example, Diablo 1's potion system is the same, same as Fables, thing, and it's yeah, where it's instantaneous, and it, it's one of the big problems with the game. But the the modern uh, way that potions are used, where they're on a cooldown, just fix a lot of the issues and can make the game continue to be tense and challenging. No, no, um, Path of Exile has the same thing as Fable and... What, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Okay, basically, you have a health potion bound to one on your keyboard, and every like five enemies you kill like fills it up a bit right and you compress yeah. it with no cooldown and it just fills your health okay that's less inspired than i thought it was it's it's really bad actually because basically 
because the health potions are so powerful, really the only way to kill the player is either to stack them with so many bleeds that it outpaces the health recovery, or just to kill you in one hit. Um, nice. But yeah, or throw 10,000 enemies at you so that you die in like three hits from... Man. What it's, what have they really done bad. to my Diablo games? What have they done? It was never good. The first <laughs> one had a terrible potion system. I know, I know, but I don't know. Diablo one didn't have enemies that just hit, killed you in one hit. I agree that the potion. I guess I'm more talking about the ARPG genre as a whole. How how the mighty have fallen. When it comes to how good this combat is, I believe that this is just the tip of the iceberg because I think that the combat has more problems as well. Did you by any chance get? any of the aoe spells like the big aoe destruction spells no so i maxed out the evil aoe destruction spell yeah it makes every combat just completely it just brained deletes it. So, yeah so what you do is you press this button because i had it bound to three and you hold it down and there is a wind up time so you can't you can't just instantly go into this animation but you hold it down and then in a massive AoE, like ridiculously big, like bigger than the circle indicates, enemies get stun locked and take absurd damage. Your combat multiply goes up to, you know, times 17 <laughs> as you're as you're stun locking these enemies. And then you reposition because the enemies all get knocked down at the end of pressing this animation. Yep. And you press that button again. And all the enemies get thrown up in the air because it takes them a little bit to get up. But as long as you've repositioned like just a little bit away from them, you're completely and utterly safe. And you right. can just do it again. And you can do this over and over and over and over, perma-stunlocking groups of enemies with zero risk to yourself. And if there is risk, we'll just chug a potion. I think this is kind of the downside of not locking these fucked abilities like later in a skill tree, like that you can just get them from the beginning. Like it's okay if you need to like invest so much to get here and you get it for like an hour at the end of the game, but from the start it's quite hilarious i mean it, it doesn't do much damage at the start but it still stun locks them so you can still do it it just takes longer yeah so that, that that one spell just completely invalidates every group combat encounter in the entire game yeah well i had level one force push for like the entire game and i never leveled it up past one because like, <laughs> level one knocks things on their back and costs like no mana so i was like why would i ever upgrade it like i'm only using it so i don't get hit yeah, it's the same with Assassin's Strike, because that's the other one I abuse the crap out of. Oh, I love if you that assass skill. You Assassin's Strike behind someone, and you basically get a free hit on them. And then when they're ready to block, they can do it again. And it doesn't cost any mana, so you can just keep doing it and kill literally any enemy in the game, just by constantly blinking behind them. I um, used basically only three skills, like Force Push, Multi-Hit, and Assassin's Strike, but man, were they great. <laughs> Um, I wish I had experimented more a little, but I mean, they were good enough. I experimented, but it was like literally for the joy of experimenting. Like yeah. there's a mind control that's spell. That's fine, right? Like there's a mind control spell, but it's like, why would I use a mind control spell when I can just kill everyone in this group by themselves just by pressing one button a few times? I tried to level summoning up, but the way it works is like, you need to get your summon to kill something stronger than it, so it'll like upgrade and i could not oh, like... that's kind of interesting yeah so, so like over the course of the game you have to keep 
like your summon keeps getting stronger it killed one of the like goblin things at the start and then i could never get it to get the last hit on anything so it was stuck on that and then by the end of the game it was just useless it's probably uh, really that's good annoying. at the end that's that's kind of like a cool little mini game isn't it yeah Where you have i do to, like yeah. it yeah i like the concept also i found archery close to useless in this game so getting out your bow and aiming at something takes time right the only time I was able to get archery to work was when I w was able to instantly kill one enemy that was far away from the other enemies and it didn't trigger the alarm. The rest of the time, the moment I started archery, I literally had eight people run at me faster than I could like fire a second it's shot. It's probably with my fine bow. if you level up multi shot or whatever. I yeah. don't think it's very good unless you do that, probably, but I don't know. I didn't use it at all, basically. Yeah, I just found that it was ineffective compared to the other methods. So by the end of the game, I had, you know, six to eight spells on my hotkeys. Early on in the and... game, I think it does a lot of damage, actually, compared to, like, your sword swings. So That's possible as well, yeah. I was able to get some... The, the way... I don't know if you know how damage works with it. The longer you hold, hold down, down, the more damage it does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of, like, funny, like like if i'm pretty sure if you hold down for 30 seconds it does more damage than 10 seconds well it just never stops going up yeah i think it just keeps going up so <laughs> that's great <laughs> well so what it good. means is that it, but, but the thing is the way the combat plays you don't have time to just be sitting there most of the time so you end up just doing a bunch of shorter draws because enemies are running at you and then you swap to a melee weapon anyway that was my experience anyway. I'm getting Dark Souls 1 flashbacks to my last playthrough, beating it with a crossbow. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I can't fun. believe you did that. That was so ridiculous. <laughs> so funny. Beating Manus with a crossbow. Man, that took me a, that took a couple of hours. <laughs> yeah, my heavy club playthrough was far more reasonable than what whatever the hell you were trying to do. Um, but yeah, I, I get what I'm, what I'm trying to get at with this is that there is some enjoyment and we've talked high about these RPG systems from messing around with some of these options, but because of the potion system and because of me, the efficiency of some spells at murdering things over literally any of these other utility options, you end up going down a boring brain dead generic combat path that is neither challenging or particularly interesting once the novelty of just trying different things is worn out the combat in this game is bad and this game has a lot of combat like most of your time spent playing fable is going to be hitting things or casting spells yeah i think the game is fun in the same way that a toy is fun, basically. The same way that Kirby is fun. Remember Kirby Nightmare in Dreamland? It gave you all these different cool things to morph into, and at the end of the day, it didn't matter what it is you did, because the end result was the same regardless. It sort of is like that, isn't it? Um, I probably think that game was probably better at it, just because it was introducing new things pretty often, I guess. When you have everything from the beginning, it's not... It loses its luster, right? Like, I wasn't getting excited about leveling up my skills to get new skills because I could just get them whenever. Mm. There's no, like, carrot on a stick 
for me there's to nothing like... on the horizon to, to yeah. aim for as a goal yeah yeah the closest thing to that for me was maxing out this infernal spell that was killing everything <laughs> in one hit because i was like oh maybe i'll be, be able to kill everyone in two volleys of this spell instead of three <laughs> yeah it, it, oh, man. you miss out james that spell was good i don't think i did i think <laughs> I, I had fun multi-striking things just fine the uh the feedback on that skill is really great yeah, I was uh, using multi-strike a lot as well because when you're fighting one or two enemies, it's more efficient. To just delete things, yeah. yeah. But yeah, the, the combat's bad, like it just is. <laughs> I feel like I've played a gameplay that makes me dislike it more than this one. The skills are fun enough to mess around with for a couple of hours and then it gets a bit boring because you've done it oh. all. I didn't actively hate... Whenever I was in combat, I wasn't like hating my life. Like it's bad, but it's not like miserable to do it i yeah. would say the last like hour and a half of this game i ran through all the combat oh yeah i was i was sprinting through yeah. the game at the end and, too, and yeah. listen james if that doesn't tell you that the combat's like unenjoyable i don't know what is because it's, it, it's, it's just yeah. and it's it's just repeating itself like at that point there's no new enemy types and the new enemy types are effectively just tankier enemies that do more damage and block so yeah, I, I got over this combat real fast, even if it does have the novelty to sustain it for a little while. I think that the combat's the worst part of this game, and it's also the majority of this game, unfortunately. Well, let's talk a bit about the gimmicky stuff now, then. Let's, um, um, let's have another music break first, though, James. <laughs> we'll get into that very shortly. Um, so the piece of music that I've chosen, I wanted to pick a contrasting piece of music. I do think all of the town themes are really good. And as James said, the one he picked is probably my favorite. But here is Greatwood. Greatwood is one of those themes that's a little bit more, I guess, curious is how I'd describe it, as the hero is venturing out into the wilderness for the first time. This is Greatwood.
That was great, Wood. And now, before Patrick rudely interrupted <laughs> me, um, we get to talk a bit about what I think is probably, I guess, the most interesting discussion point, not necessarily the most interesting part of playing the game. Um, so this game has a lot of gimmicky bullshit in it um, <laughs> that I did not care for a heap on this playthrough. And I think it's the kind of gimmicky stuff that, like, back in the day seemed kind of innovative, but by now I think we know enough about game design that most developers are aware that this kind of thing doesn't hugely add to things. Like, back on the, you know, the Xbox One era, which this game came out in, like, the idea of being able to buy houses and marry people and use expressions gestures. and gestures to influence those around you seems really reactive and realistic for the time and now you know to me it's kind of on that tier of uh like the original wii's motion controls like everybody knows now that waggle is not make a game better <laughs> um but this game tried something that at the time was new and i think there is some stuff that you can do with it. So one thing that you can do, which I did a lot actually, was you can walk into shops um, and you can use the follow command on the shopkeeper and you can run to the edge of town and then say wait. And if your renown is high enough, the shopkeeper will follow you. And then you can run back to the, the store and you can loot everything that isn't nailed down and he won't notice. Um, <laughs> You can, you know, do stuff like that. You can belch at people and laugh at people and point at them and they'll react sometimes. Some quests involve just, like, burping in some guy's face um, if they're a homeless, like, like this <laughs> homeless guy's face and uh, a bit juvenile, but, you know, you can do it. It doesn't add a lot, to be honest, I don't think. Once again, it's all just there purely for the novelty. Yeah. Um, you have, in addition to the things you mentioned, you have little mini games that you can play, which, you know, like uh, Blackjack or Match the Picture or Remember the Objects. Uh, sometimes these are kind of like woven into the main quests as well. You have chicken chicken kicking. I don't know if you did any chicken I did kicking. chicken kicking, yeah. Yeah. There's those little side games. Um for the most part, the thing about all of these little features is that they're not really interconnected in a meaningful way. Mm. And it, it's the reason this particularly stands out is that we've come from, we've literally just come from Pathologic 2. Yeah. And Pathologic 2 is a game which has all of its systems so carefully interlinked that any time you take an action, it has ramifications down the entire chain of all the other systems. Like the example ga James gave in the previous episode about deciding to rescue a baby from a house because you hear it crying and the ramifications that can have, you know, throughout the game and how it affects your passage through the world and your reputation and so on and so forth. Or if you decide to harvest organs from someone, your reputation goes down in a district and then you can no longer shop at the shop that you were planning to originally go for to buy a cloth mask since your cloth mask broke while trying to rescue the baby and so on and so forth all the way down the line. In this game, you can do anything you want and it doesn't matter. You can murder people, it doesn't matter. You can be good and it doesn't matter. 
all of these systems exist almost in isolation from one another to experience in isolation from another and it means that while there is a degree of novelty from hey i can buy a house there's no thought that has gone into implementing the act of owning a house into the wider gaming ecosystem this game is far far too simple yeah i think for me the problem is one of rewards um there's oh, no that's so bad it's like here's 250 gold if you do this quest <laughs> yeah i think and it comes down to how easy the game is right like i don't need to go out of my way to do any of this stuff to mm. get ahead in the world because it's already so easy to get breeze through anyway um like so if if you can't reward like and the game rewards you with stuff like you can get new haircuts or tattoos like i i like they just, don't do anything yeah and those this is funny actually i was reading some people's opinions on the game um because i like to do that after i finished it and one thing i kept seeing people mention that just did not occur to me as a problem is that lots of people really hate the fact that you age in this game because it affects their character's aesthetics negatively because <laughs> they spent so much time collecting hairstyles and making their character look cool and i was like i thought it was funny that i became an old man <laughs> while I was playing like i thought that was part of the goofy charm but no some people really attached to good looking character yeah and i i get the whole like making your character look cool in an rpg i just don't think there's enough options in this game compared to many of the other games that i've played with superior character customization so uh, to me that was a non-issue but when that's like the only reward is this like very and i was wearing full plate armor the entire game i couldn't see any of it anyway so <laughs> when that's like 90 percent of the rewards is like a new haircut the, you know or very little amount of gold which you don't even need because you're so strong anyway it means that the activity has to be like intrinsically enjoyable mm -hmm. like and you have to be able to do it i don't really see what's enjoyable about walking up to a house pressing buy and then every few hours coming back to pick up gold like i guess it's fun to just become super rich but there's not even that much stuff to spend gold on um like the marriage thing seems a bit gimmicky too yeah i basically what you want and i think you you hit it when you said that these things have to be intrinsically interesting and to give you an example of the side quests that are intrinsically interesting, I would turn to the demon doors. Did you do many of the demon doors, James? I did a few of them, actually. Um, I never got through that one that you had to shoot it in the face with an arrow because it just didn't do enough damage. But I did like him insulting me every time I did it. There's, there's one where it's like you have to be, be super fat. There's yeah. one where you have to have had sex 10 times. Like, yeah. these... <laughs> These are not a lot of these demon doors because basically, as you travel around the world, you see these purple things on your map, and they're these demon doors, and they basically require something you to do something specific to uh, get them to open, and they all care about different things. They're all ridiculous. One them, yeah, one of them says, uh, "Yeah, there were three people who appeared before me. The first one was a bandit. Then there was someone in, you know, then there was a knight in shining armor, and finally an evil magic user." And you have to speak to the door in turn wearing each set of armor that's matching his description. They're all, they're all quite simple and easy to accomplish once you understand what it is they want. 
but they were intrinsically interesting enough for me to pursue them regardless of what the reward behind that door might be. Mm. I thought that they were fun, right? Like, yeah. they're silly, they fit in with the tone of the game. They're also like, they're a bit of a puzzle, so it makes you actually like try to figure out what they're doing. They're not like super hard. Um, you know. But, but, the, but they're not meant to be. It's meant to be a, a one-off thing. Like, but can you imagine... they if gave you, good rewards. They did, yeah. A lot of, like, uh, they gave you armor sets and permanent HP and mana increases, things like that. Yeah. But, you know, if you bought a house and the house was haunted and you had to follow a quest to get the, you know, the ghost out of your house before you could earn money, well, all of a sudden that whole thing has become more interesting. But having this as a systemic feature as in we're going to have house purchasing as a mechanic doesn't actually make house purchasing interesting it doesn't make house purchasing additive the game isn't better because it has house purchasing versus non-house purchasing because nothing interesting is done with the concept yeah i think is what we're trying to get at you can you can add as many features as you like and list them on the box as them being features of your game but if that feature is not an additive thing to the game as a whole it shouldn't be there like it just it just doesn't really do anything meaningful it's just set dressing essentially yeah it's not the kind of stuff that like a fairly i'm fairly like mechanically orientated these days or like i like you know planning character builds out that kind of thing this kind of thing is just not the kind of content i would ever engage with basically i feel like if i when i was younger i would have liked this kind of thing um, when I had more time on my hands and when I wasn't just trying to, like, you know, get through the game and experience as much as it was possible for the review. Um, yeah, it's just kind of, like, whatever to me now. I'm sure there are people who will play this game and they'll enjoy messing around with these systems. But oh, they're yeah. Just, they're just so, so I, simple I just think and it's so not for unnecessary. Us, yeah, it's just not, not my cup of tea. Yeah. I do have something positive to say about the world building. Which is interesting because I don't think the world building here is the kind of thing that would normally appeal to me. It's effectively a bunch of corridors, outside corridors, but corridors nonetheless, connecting towns together. It's kind of small and it's kind of cramped. But what I will say about this world is that it feels like there's basically zero wasted space. Yep. Like, as you're moving between two towns there might be four to five areas connecting them and even if i couldn't tell you like oh this this map screen corresponds to the third in the area they do all feel somewhat distinct like this one will have a cave they have different chests with with goodies scattered around some of them have demon doors a lot of them have unique features one of my favorites is there's this part where there's these four stones that are T-H-I-N-S, uh, and you have to spell out a name. And if you spell S-H-I-T, two monsters spawn and start attacking you for spelling a bad word. <laughs> and, and the game has lots of like little, little mm. things. The, uh, the sword and the stone that James mentioned, there's <laughs> usually things in these short journeys from place to place unique features to break up the i guess monotony of just moving along somewhat ordinary corridors so i think that in spite of its kind of cramped feel i think the level design in this game is actually pretty good i, yes. I never felt like at any point that i was just wasting my time 
moving through the environment always felt meaningful i agree with the size of the world and it helps that you like have the ability to teleport like anywhere mm -hmm. very early from very early on in the game um it makes getting around like very quick and it's not exactly like everything's spread out either although that initial trek through the swamp um was a bit rough for my very weak character at that point but it was i feel like that was meant to be like that yeah. was because that's kind of like the longest you go between teleports but it, it is meant to be a bit scary and a bit without support because you're going into the deep spooky i agree spot. yeah yeah it's kind of like deep nest and hollow knight like it's it's unpleasant but it's meant to be um so i'm i'm in favor of it yeah i'm a bit um conflicted on this one honestly because um there's lots of weird design problems i have with the game but i just find it so charming honestly like the stupid mm. sense of humor um the like silly abilities that you get to mess around with like there's lots of issues with it but i think there's something there although i don't know if i would tell someone to go out of their way for this one well that sounds like moving on to final impressions james mm. yeah so how about you go first and i'll think about it okay so fable is not a game i would recommend to most people the story, while it is charming, and I think that its genericness is almost interesting in some ways, is not enough to convince me to play this game. I think that while its RPG systems are also interesting, and there are parts of its level design that I quite like, its gameplay and gameplay systems are actively bad. So even if the story is enough to maybe intrigue you, you're not going to have a lot of fun playing Fable because the gameplay is just so easy as to be laughable. And at some point, you're just going to gravitate towards an effective strategy to mow down hordes of enemies, and it's going to stop being fun. Where I think this game actually has a niche is that I think it is a good game for kids who have not played many action RPGs before. The story will appeal to them a lot because it's simple with a little bit of fun and a little bit of crudeness to it with all the farting and burping you can do and so on and so forth. I think the combat, which for us was a massive downside for being too easy, is actually going to be a benefit for a kid, um, particularly someone in their young teens, because it's easy enough that it's hard to go wrong with that build. They can kind of do whatever they want and still get through the game fine. In that sense, this game reminds me a lot of Kirby's Nightmare and Dreamland in that this game is so most definitely not made for me. It's almost ridiculous how it does everything in its power to not be for me. So I can't recommend it as like a discerning adult who enjoys video games, but there may be someone you know who may enjoy it. And I'm sure that person is between the age of 10 and 15 years old and they could have a blast with Fable. But for most people, Fable gets a no from me despite some interesting aspects to it. And I do think at the very least, it feels like a unique game, which is all the more remarkable for how kind of ordinary it is in so many ways. So it gets a no from me, but I can see some merit to recommending it to specific groups. I found it really easy to play this game in long stretches. Like it's very relaxing, very charming. Um, the enemy, the combat's easy, even though you know the start was a bit miserable. And I'm kind of you know in the same camp that Patrick is. I actually. Based on my experience as a younger person, I loved this game when I was about 15, 16. So I kind of agree that Fable 1's like the perfect game for a younger audience. And I think that most 
um, adults, especially people who play a lot of games like we do, are probably going to be a bit bored by this one. There is a lot of fun stuff and silly stuff here, right? Like, there is a lot of charm, there's a lot of character to it. So I do actually think that Fable 1 is a decent game. I just think that for the more mechanically inclined players, um, this one's not for us, basically, or the me, you know, of now. So I would recommend this one to, you know, people who want a more casual game, something that's a bit, you know, more lighthearted and not very challenging. I think it's best played on the easier difficulty. Um, and I think that there's a lot of humor here and the music and the writing and the music and the tone are great. Yeah, I think Fable One's a good game. It's just not for me. And I would be hesitant to recommend this to too many people. Um, this game is the opposite of Pathologic 2. So in that sense, it's the perfect follow-up. <laughs> Basically, yeah. So... <laughs> I'm glad we played it for the show. It does interesting things and it's fun to talk about. But even when I was trying to play my second character, I was like, I'm getting bored. I'd rather do something else. So uh, that does it for Fable. Uh, thank you so much for listening to us bang on about Fable for the past hour and a half. Um, I'm Patrick and this is, and I was joined by James. We're the Retrospectors podcast. You can find all of our content on our website, rspodcast.net. It's got links to all of our episodes, all 101 of our episodes now. That number is forever growing. Uh, a bunch of articles that James and I have written about games old and new. Um, if you'd like to support us further, we encourage you to join our Discord server. That's where we do most of our interaction with our local community. And if you really want to support us, you can drop us a donation at the Buy Me A Coffee link we have in the show notes and on the website. So with Fable in the books, it's time to talk about what we're doing for our next episode, episode 102 over the next three weeks. So James and I have agreed for, the, that for this season, we will no longer be considerate of the other person's feelings. We're just going <laughs> to pick whatever we like and the other person has to suffer through it because it's been far too long with us being considerate and it's meant that we haven't done you know enough JRPGs and we certainly haven't done enough stealth games. So we need to get that fixed uh, fixed pronto. The, did you really stop picking stealth games, though? I did. We've done so few. I think we've only done two in the last year, which is, you know, we need to do more like 10. Anyway. We played Pathologic. <laughs> it has stealth, that's for sure. Resident Evil 4. I think we're Riddick, stretching. Riddick had stealth. Riddick did have stealth. I'll, I'll give you Riddick. I will not give you Resident Evil 4. <laughs> what about Drill Dozer? Uh, see, see, this is the problem. Look at all these games that don't have stealth oh, elements. Fire Emblem Path of Radiance had a stealth mission. <laughs> it did have one stealth mission that I immediately screwed up. Um, but uh, I'm not picking a stealth game this time. Instead, I'm dabbling into another genre that James doesn't like me doing. We're going to do an RTS game. And the RTS game that I've selected is none other than Homeworld. James, were you familiar with Homeworld before I brought it up, or was this completely brand new to you? Yeah, I was having a look at gameplay footage today, and I was like, man, this game ripped off Freelance, so it oh looks my God. like... <laughs> yeah, in the same way that Hon ripped off Dota, right? Sorry, Dota ripped yeah. off Hon, yeah. It, it's set in this big void, and there's spaceships. Yeah, it's called Space, yeah. Space and Spaceships. You're, you're right, Freelancer invented Space and Spaceships. What was I thinking? Anyway, the... Homeworld is a game that I've wanted to do for a very long time. It seems to have a unique kind of strategy to it um, in that you're managing a continuous fleet of ships over a long campaign instead of just resetting at the start of every mission. 
the story seems fascinating. Uh, it does seem simple, but that doesn't mean that it's a bad sci-fi story by any stretch. It seems to have a gorgeous aesthetic to it. Um, everything about this game seems like it's promising a wonderful experience. I will note that after doing a lot of reading, I've decided to go with the original version of Homeworld instead of the remastered version. And the reason for that, it's there's a lot going on to it, but basically with the remastered versions, they basically used a modified version of the Homeworld 2 engine. So the remastered version of 1 isn't exactly the same as 1 from a gameplay perspective, and many would argue to its detriment. So even though it's nowhere near as pretty, we will be playing the original Homeworld 1, and it's one I'm very excited to get stuck into um, and see see what what's there because it seems like a very uh, very unique take on uh, on RTS. Mm. Well, it's three D, right? Like there's uh, depths to it, up and down, as opposed to uh, this top down view where you move stuff across the ground. Yeah, and I, I know it's... that matters because the angle at which you attack does does affect um, you know like how how well it penetrates the armor on certain certain vessels so that 3d space is important not just from a visual point of view but from a mechanical point of view um honestly like looking at gameplay it looks like it could be fun um i just hope that i don't suck at it like i do every other rts <laughs> it would be pretty funny particularly with the model where you need to maintain your fleet from um, from screen to screen this is a game that you can i think technically soft lock yourself in if you do too badly but uh yeah just just uh just be realistic about what your losses are from mission to mission and you should be okay at least that's what i'm hoping does this have um cool cheats like age of mythology did and i can get through the <laughs> it, game okay it, it it probably does and i'm sure there are ways to re-establish the balance regardless but i'm gonna try and lean into that feature i'm sure it'll be more interesting we'll create a more tense narrative because of it mm. Hey, so that about does it for episode 101 of the Retrospectors podcast on Fable. Thank you so much for joining us here tonight, and we'll see you in three weeks for Homeworld. Catch you then.